Welcome Northview. <laughs> Man, it's so good to celebrate. This is a special weekend, as you know, for Sandy and myself. And, you know, I've been doing this here for 23 years, and it's the first time they ever put a box of Kleenex up here. <laughs> I think they know me well. It's really already been an amazing weekend, and I told them, they, you know, I, nothing happens in this service that I don't know about except for this weekend. I've had no idea. It kind of is intimidating for me to come in and not know what's going to happen. And so, but I told them, I said, I, I've got to speak first. I, I can't, wouldn't be able to talk afterwards. And it's been an incredible weekend. We were so blessed that uh, um, so many of our family uh, came in town to be a part of this. Could all my family just stand? Would you all honor them? Thank you for them. <laughs> And then yesterday, because the family's in town, Jenny, our daughter, said, well, why don't you just come over for breakfast? And so we went to her house, and I thought it'd be a quiet breakfast with family, and there were cars all over the place. And I said, I wonder what's going on in this neighborhood. And, and so I go in, and the house is full of people, and I, it, I didn't recognize anybody at first until I realized that 40 people from our first church in St. Joseph, Missouri, had driven nine hours to be here. Would you welcome all the St. Joe people? Would you stand, please? Wow. I just can't tell you what that, I was, it was a time warp. I was just, I hadn't seen most of these folks for 23 years and that they would do this really honored me. And then this morning, you know, I looked up, and I don't know where he and his family are sitting, but Aaron and Lindsey Brockett, the pastor Traders Point, are here. Where are you, Aaron? Would you stand? Lindsey? How many years have you been here? Fifteen years ago, when he was his first weekend, I took the weekend off because I wanted to go and, and support him. <clears throat> and so, now see, I can't do this or I won't be able to speak. Pray with me. I'm going to jump right into this. Father, thank you for your faithfulness. You're an amazing God. And I just thank you, Lord, for Northview Church. I thank you, Lord God, for the way that you have blessed us uh, through all these years. Your favor has been upon us, and I pray to God that that would just continue. <clears throat> thank you, God, for allowing me to pastor the good people in Northview Church. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to use them uh, to build a legacy for the kingdom of God uh, in the next decades to come. Thanks, God. We love you, praise you. We just ask now that as we get into your word, that you would open up our eyes, our hearts, and spirits to receive all that you have. Love you, and I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Can I give you a bit of trivia that you may not know or you may not remember? Did you know that in both the 2004 Olympics that took place in Athens and the 2008 Olympics in Beijing, the women's USA team 
They should have won the four by 100 meter relay race. They should have won. You say, well, why? Because they had the fastest team. But something happened in the exchange zone. You see, when it comes to a relay race, the entire thing hinges on the exchange zone. In 2004, when the runner came into the exchange zone, the next runner took off just a split second too fast, and the first runner couldn't get the baton into her hand. So she grabbed it outside the exchange zone and therefore was disqualified. In other words, she tried to pass the baton, but she was just a little bit too late. Then in 2008, in the Beijing Olympics, as the second runner came in and they exchanged the baton, the third runner dropped it. And so once again, the American team was disqualified because she had dropped the baton. Guys, please hear me on this. The success or failure of a team depends on how well the baton is passed. I believe the same thing is true in the church world. You see, when it comes right down to it, it doesn't matter how large our attendance is, it doesn't matter how great our worship is, or how good the sermons are. If we don't effectively pass the baton, then the next generation will not hear about the faithfulness of God. For the last several weeks, we've been in a series called The Bottom of the Night. We've been talking about the different characters throughout the Old and the New Testament who have thrived under pressure. And so in some ways, it's been a fairly easy series because there are so many examples of it in both the Old and New Testament. But when I was trying to think of two people in the Old Testament, two men that came to my mind were Moses and Joshua. For 40 years, Moses led two million plus Jewish people out of bondage towards a land that God had promised them, a land that was said to flow with milk and honey. And as you might imagine, it took a tremendous amount of leadership on Moses' part to lead two million people. So they finally arrive at the border, Cades Barnea, the land that God had promised to give them. But the people were afraid to go in. So Moses assigns one leader from each of the 12 tribes of Israel to go in and spy out the land. But when they come back, they give a negative report. They're all like, we can't do this, there's no way. The scripture says, we see ourselves as grasshoppers. In other words, we see ourselves as weak, insignificant little bugs. But Joshua and Caleb jumped to their feet and they said, yes, we can. We can do this because the Lord is with us. Later, we see God take Moses up to a mountaintop to show him that there was still so much more that he wanted him to accomplish. Listen, guys, our journey as a church has been an incredible story of God's faithfulness. Honestly, as I look back over 36 years of ministry, 23 here at Northview and 13 in St. Joseph, it's been amazing to witness God at work, to have a front row seat to God changing lives. So if you don't mind, I, I'm gonna reminisce just for a few minutes, and if you do mind, I've got the microphone, so that's what I'm gonna do. <laughs> Many of you know my story, and I wish I had time to tell the whole thing, but uh, obviously I don't. But each one of these was a chapter of my life, a season of my life. I started out as an adult, as an entrepreneur for the first 10 years of my adult life. Starting, I, I owned three restaurants. I had a financial planning office as well as I was a partner in a Christian radio station. That was an amazing 10 years of my life, but part of it, to be honest with you, was me running from God. And then in 1986, God called me for the next 13 years to become the senior pastor at Caring First in St. Joseph, Missouri. Again, there's a whole context and story that goes with that, but can I just tell you that was an amazing season in our lives. 
You know, we have so many of you that are just dear, dear friends that we love so very much, but can I just say there's just something about the people that you raised your kids with. There's just something about the connection that you have, and St. Joseph was where we raised our kids, and that's why this is so special that they would come and be a part of this. Well, God then called me to Northview Church, and my first message here actually was on Father's Day, 1999. It was a church, you have to understand, it was a church that was still mourning after losing their pastor, Tommy Paino, who started the church in 1980, had just died from a three-year battle with Lou Gehrig's disease. And so the church was going through their own grieving, and so they bring me in, and uh, to be honest, give you a little context, not everybody was happy that I was here, and so here it is, Father's Day, my first message, I'm pumped, and I preach, and I step off the platform, and a guy comes walking up to me, who um, I guess didn't want me to be there, and he walked up to me and he said, that was the worst message I've ever heard in my life. And my response, I started to laugh, and I said, welcome to Northview. <laughs> he didn't think that was funny, but it didn't matter. And so um, that was how I started here, unique. Anyway, when I arrived at the church, the church had about 800 people in attendance and a few months, actually not even two months, I think it was like about six weeks in, uh, some of them came to me and said, we, we're going to start our own church. And uh, I said, well, I don't want it to be a split. Can we just uh, bless you and send you out? And so that's what we did. And so 300 of the 800 left. And so that left us with about 500 people. But guys, can I tell you, from the time I arrived, I believe that God wanted to do great things in this church. So every year, I would share a vision of where I thought God wanted to take us. And I used the scripture out of Proverbs chapter 29, where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. In other words, if you don't have a vision or directions for where God wants to lead you, then you can't hold people together. You know, people, it says the people are unrestrained. They just go their own direction and do their own thing. Friends, the churches in America that are growing and making a difference are the ones that have a clear identity. They understand their purpose. They understand what it is that God wants them to do. And so we watch God do so many incredible things. And I, I don't have time to share them all, and so I, I just want to give you a few highlights, the things that maybe stood out to me. One of the first things that we did was to, to bring clarity to our mission by establishing our values and our priorities. So we created a mission statement. The church didn't have one at the time. We created a mission statement, connecting people with God and connecting people with people. And that is still our mission statement today. That's what we feel like God has called us to do, to connect people with God and connect people with people. We talked about the importance of focusing on our community instead of focusing on ourselves. Because after their pastor, who had just died a few months earlier, of Lou Gehrig's, they were grieving. They were ministering to each other, so it had become an internally focused church, and I knew that I had to get their eyes focused externally on a hurting community. And so one of the first things that we did, the church at the time was maybe 800 people, we started our first annual picnic we called Hillfest. I told the church at the time, I said, this isn't about you. This is not about a church picnic. This is about you inviting your unchurched friends to come. And so we did that for several years. It just continued to grow. The people caught the vision and continued to invite their friends. I remember at one point, the church at the time was about 1,500 people, and so I went up into our educational space here at Carmel in the second story, and I looked out, and that year, 8,000 people from the community had gathered. And I just became emotional as I looked out, and I said, God, we're doing it. We're doing it. 
And so we just constantly talked about our responsibility to fulfill the Great Commission. We also made overseas missions a priority, and we started sending teams overseas for short-term trips. And I would tell you that over the years, this church, I'm not exaggerating, this church has literally sent millions and millions of dollars overseas to partner with ministries like IJM, International Justice Mission, to free 30,000, you remember this? 30,000 young boys that were caught in slavery, seven, eight, nine years old in the fishing industry in Ghana. Yeah. We also partnered with ministries like Bright Hope and One Hope and Convoy of Hope, and we decided if they didn't have hope in their name, we weren't going to support them. <laughs> I'm sure you remember over a year, about a year ago right now, we sponsored, in fact, I saw Steve up on the screen making a greeting, but we sponsored over 2,800 children in Ghana with World Vision. It was it was the largest, get this, Northview, this is what you did. It was the largest number of children that any church has ever sponsored with World Vision by three times. Way to go, Northview. The point I'm trying to make is I want you to see that together we've made a serious impact around the world. And then, of course, who could not talk about Good Neighbor Weekends? I remember as a staff when we talked about the idea, what if, we, what if we cancel a weekend service and have all of our people go out and serve the community? We organize all of their efforts. And, and I mean, it sounded like a good idea, and then I started to freak out. I'm like, cancel a weekend service? What am I thinking about? But we did it, and it was amazing. It was incredible at one time to see over 8,000 people packaging food, painting buildings, picking up trash, simply to demonstrate the love of God and to let a community know that we loved them and that we cared about them. And then, many of you may not know this, but did you know that 40% of the population are under the age of 15 in this country? 40% are under the age of 15. So we knew that if we were serious about reaching families, then children had to become a priority for us. So in 2004, we built a new children's wing and youth center and capstone. At the time, there was nothing like it in the state of Indiana. And Kurt Broadbeck, our family pastor at the time, introduced an amazing program called Family Framework, which we still use to this day, which I still am convinced is the best in the country. And the idea was to come alongside parents to help them maneuver the spiritual life of their children. Another thing that we decided was that small groups needed to be a priority for us. At the time, our goal, we, we had a, a lofty goal. We said, what if we were able to get 30 small groups? Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, today, guys, we have almost 600 small groups that meet on a regular basis. We also felt like we had a responsibility to reach the inner city and to help those that were struggling with poverty. And so we started our Brookside Church in the inner city neighborhood in 2006. And if I'm being really honest with you, it has not been easy. Those first years were tough. We didn't know if we were going to be able to keep it open. And it was one battle after another. But in the last uh, maybe five to seven years, Brookside has gotten legs, and they've been doing an amazing work in the city, recognized by the city of Indianapolis, honored by so many uh, that do ministry in the city. We have a reentry program for those coming out of prison that we call them Isaiah houses, where people coming out don't have a place to live. They can live there for a year. We have four of those. We have Brookside Play for kids in school. We have, uh, we've redone several homes in the city, 32 if I'm 
correct, 32 homes to put people in it that can't afford housing. Seriously, I could talk about Brookside for the rest of the day. It's been amazing what God has done down there, yeah. In 2007, we made the decision, instead of waiting for the unchurched community to come to us, we would take the church to them. And so we started our first multi-site church in Greater Lafayette. We were one of the first churches in the country to do so. And we had no idea what we were doing. Oh my gosh, we made so many mistakes. I'm surprised anybody attends the Greater Lafayette campus. Uh, I mean, it just was one mistake after another. But since then, not only do we have our Greater Lafayette, but we have our Carmel campus, we have Kokomo, we have Anderson, we have Fishers, we have Westfield, we have Benford, we have Flora, we have North Putt, and in two weeks we're getting ready to open up Noblesville. Yeah. We also have three campuses, and this is, this one's a yay, God. We also, three of our campuses are inside of prisons. That's a yay, God. That one blesses my heart a lot, and, it, and you know, the prisons have had it really, we, we think we've had it difficult through COVID. The prison system, it's been really, really hard. And so just continue to pray for for the inmates and continue to pray that we'll be able to make inroads there. We also have a microsite campus in Marion, Indiana. Friends, we just feel like God called us. There there was no question on our mind. We feel like God called us to reach the state of Indiana. In 2010, we opened up the Carmel campus here at 2200-seat auditorium. That second weekend, we said, well, we, need, we need to do something really big. This is a big deal. So week one, we did the typical celebration of being in here. And week two, we said, what could we do that would be unique and really invite God into this place? So we said, well, why don't, why don't you preach on baptism, and then we'll do a spontaneous baptism? Yeah. And so uh, the idea was is that we'll have towels and shorts and T-shirts. You preach on it and invite them to come be baptized. And so that's what we did. We didn't know what to expect. In fact, ye of little faith, I'm like, well, what if nobody comes? And they're like, well, you're right there. We better spot this a little bit. So we found 10 people that wanted to get baptized. We said, (laughs) we said, you sit right over here. And when you hear me make a call, you get up and come. And so I said, that way, if they're the only 10, it won't feel like a major failure. And so that's what we did, and that ends up being one of the most dramatic services in the history of our church. And if you were here, you know exactly what I'm talking about, because there were so many, yeah, wait, there were, <laughs> there were so many that we had to go into the next weekend, and after two weekends, we had baptized 550 people. Guys, if you were here that weekend, you know what I'm talking about. There were tears, there was emotions, there were so many stories that came out of that. It, just, it was just such a move of God. And Sandy went downstairs to help, and we had bought, again, shorts, T-shirts, and had towels. And we we're like, well, what do you think we should expect? So we said, well, let's buy 100. And so we had 100, and so we ran out. And so they're down there, true story, she shared this many times, but we ran out. And they took, the people would go back to change, wring out their shorts, throw them over the top. We would give them to the next person who'd baptized. They'd put these shorts on and put this wet T-shirt on. They would come, and they didn't care. Everybody was so excited to be baptized, they didn't care. And so they would come up, 
And then the, what we also didn't count for is that these were black T-shirts that had not been washed. So you would come up to be baptized, and of course our baptismal's right here. You'd come up to be baptized and you'd stop and you'd look down at me in the tank and the water was pure black. <laughs> and I'm sure there were some people saying, I don't know. But they didn't care. They didn't care. It was just so very, very cool. Friends, we feel like God has called us to reach Indiana. I can't say that enough times. It was one of the most powerful services we've experienced. We were, um, then we did our first, in 2016, we did our first generosity initiative. And again, these are, they're, they're special to me because for me it took a bold step of faith and I would find myself wavering each time. And so uh, we did our first generosity initiative and I prayed and felt like God said, you need to raise 45 million over two years. And I'm like, well, that's crazy. And, but we announced it, and the whole time we're doing this series, and I'm thinking, I'm going to be so embarrassed because we're not going to come in. I was the, my point is I had the least faith in this entire place. <laughs> and so when it all was said and done, you guys raised $52 million that year. And so it was like, yay, God. <clears throat> it, it was... It was probably one of the most spiritually significant, it was the most spiritually significant series that year. God really did a work in people's hearts. And so this year we did another one, uh, another generosity initiative. We called it First Before All Things, and it was based on Colossians chapter 1, talking about the preeminence of Christ, the idea of putting Christ first in every aspect of your life. And if you were here, you know that our primary goal was 100% engagement. We said, you know, more than anything else, we just want to get everybody involved in this thing. And our secondary goal was $77 million over two years. Again, I'm thinking, well, if we come just under it or whatever. Well, again, you guys pled $78 million, and you went over the top of that. So it was, again, yay, God. He just continues to show up through your faithfulness every single time. And yet, guys, as cool as all these things are, what really makes my heart beat fast, for me, what really makes it feel like Christmas every single weekend, is, is that we've had, for the last decade, every single year, we've had over 1,000 people pray with me to receive Christ and over 700 people every single year be baptized. That's a yay, God. In fact, in fact, I'm curious that all of our campuses, not just Carmel, but all of our campuses, if you were saved at Northview Church, would you just stand? If you accepted Christ at Northview Church, would you just stand? Yes. Now, you don't, you don't have to stand for this next. Just raise your hand. How many of you were baptized at Northview? Yeah. And just as important a question, how many of your children were saved at Northview Church? Yes. Listen, you heard me say this over and over again. We're going to do anything short of sin to reach those that are far from Christ. And you've also heard me talk about the importance of numbers, and there have been people that have tried to say, well, all that church cares about is numbers. And we're like, yes. We do, because every number has a name, and every name has a story, and every story matters to God. So yes, we care about numbers. We're not a perfect church, and we've never claimed to be a perfect church. We've made our share of mistakes, but Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. And so that's exactly what we've done. 
It's not about us, my friends. It's about him, and he makes it clear in Scripture that he wants us to reach those outside our walls. Guys, there's so much more that God has done through the years, and I'm sure many of you have your own memories, and if we had time, you'd share them. I certainly do. My daughter Jenny was married in this church. Four of my grandchildren were dedicated to the Lord in this church. I had the privilege, which was incredible for me, I had the privilege of working with both of my kids on staff. Ryan and Jennifer have both worked here. So yes, Sandy and I have a lot of fond memories of this church. And yet, like Moses, we realize there's still so much more that God wants to do with Northview. Friends, there's another leg to this race that needs to be run. You see, at this point, Moses' life, at this point in Moses' life, he realizes it's time to pass the baton of leadership. I don't know if he came to that decision quickly or if he struggled with it. Now, my guess is, since I'm right where he was, I'm guessing he struggled. I certainly have struggled. It was hard to make this type of decision. And I found myself second-guessing myself. I mean, the, the first week CJ arrived a year ago, that next morning I woke up and sat on the edge of the bed, and I'm like, what the heck have I done? <laughs> I mean, so yeah, I've second-guessed myself. Because why? Well, my identity, uh, I'm the pastor of Northview Church. I've been a senior pastor for 36 years. And so when anybody introduced me, how do they introduce you? Well, this is Steve Poe, Pastor King first. This is Steve Poe, Pastor of Northview Church. I told Sandy, I said, how are they going to introduce me? They're going to say, this is Steve Poe. Who is he? <laughs> so like Moses, I know in my knower that God was telling me it was time to pass the baton. In Numbers chapter 27, verse 15, it says, Then Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, you are the God who gives breath to all creatures. Please appoint a new man as leader for the community. Give them someone who will guide them wherever they go and will lead them into battle. So the community of the Lord will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Moses then asked God, well, who's that person supposed to be? Listen, choosing the next pastor, guys, hear me please, it's not about a popularity contest. It's not about how young or old they are. It's not even about their preference in music. I mean, for goodness sakes, it can't be about music. CJ likes Michael Bolton. (laughs) We would have gone with someone else had I known. No, seriously, who does God want in this position of leadership? Now, please know this when you discover who, please know that when you discover who that is, please know that that person can mess up. They're human. They're going to make mistakes, which is why it's so important, first of all, that CJ stays humble and focused on God. But it's also why it's so important that you are praying for him. He needs to know that he has your prayer support, and he needs to know that he has your encouragement. And so the next time you don't like the way something happened and you sit down getting ready to email and let him have a piece of your mind, think twice and say, no, instead I'm going to bless him. I'm serious. I've said it to you over and over again, and I'm going to say it to you again. I'm certain, I'm certain, I know that I know that I know that God told me to pass the baton on to CJ. The elders also believe that to be true as well. So I'm determined to support CJ, and I'm going to encourage him as my pastor, and I'm going to pray for him as my pastor. So God then specifically tells Moses to pass the leadership baton on to Joshua. We see that in Numbers chapter 27. The Lord replied, take Joshua, son of Nun, who has the spirit in him, and lay your hands on him. 
Present him to Eleazar, the priest, before the whole community and publicly commission him to lead the people. So Moses did as the Lord commanded. He presented Joshua to Eleazar, the priest, and the whole community. Moses laid his hands on him and commissioned him to lead the people just as the Lord had commanded through Moses. Well, if you were here, that's exactly what we did with CJ just a month ago. I passed my baton, my God-given mantle of authority as the senior pastor of Northview Church to CJ. So then Joshua becomes the new leader of Israel. Joshua now has the baton and has the responsibility to run the race that God has set before him. And I love the way, I'm going to go back and read it again because I love the way those verses read in the NIV in Numbers. It says, Moses said to the Lord, may the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and come in. I love that. To go out and come in before them. One who will lead them out and bring them in so that the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. So God was looking for a leader that would lead them out and bring them in. Guys, that's the responsibility of every pastor. Actually, if you really want to get technical about it, it's the responsibility of every believer. It's your responsibility as well. Jesus made it clear that all of us have an obligation to bring in those that are far from God and to help them discover a relationship with a living God and then to disciple them and to send them out to reach their unchurched friends and family. Friends, that has been our number one priority as followers of Christ, and that should be our number one responsibility as a church. So God then tells Joshua, in Joshua chapter 1, he says, Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. I love that. Guys, in a world that's trying to pressure pastors, you'll hear all the time, pastor, if you don't say this, people aren't going to follow you. Pastor, if you don't do this, people aren't going to be happy with you. You better say this, you better do that. Listen to me, please. God makes it so clear in Scripture. Don't turn to the right, don't turn to the left, but keep yourself focused on Jesus and you'll be successful in everything that you do. Yes. In Joshua 1, it says, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. God makes the same promise to every one of us. Well, then Joshua takes the baton, and he says to the people in Joshua chapter 3, Joshua told the people, I love this, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate yourself. In other words, set yourself apart from the things of this world. In other words, get yourself spiritually prepared. Walk in righteousness because God is about to do some amazing things in your life if you'll just trust him. So right out of the gate, Joshua's doing what? Right out of the gate, he's casting vision. Right out of the gate, he's encouraging bold faith. Friends, I think you can tell that CJ is full of faith. He's full of excitement for this next season of ministry. And I fully expect him to cast bold vision. I think the next, listen, I think the next chapter of our story is going to be an amazing one. But I also hope you understand that this is applicable to every believer Guys, you have been passed the baton of faith, and now it's your time to run. So in your spiritual journey, 
What is the next step that God wants you to take? In your spiritual journey, what is the next thing God wants you to do? Maybe it's a missions trip. Maybe he wants you to invite your coworkers to church, or maybe he's challenging you to lead a small group. Maybe he wants you to forgive that person that wronged you, that person that hurt you. Guys, whatever it might be, I promise you that God has a work for you to do. This is such a great story of bold faith. Moses is faithful, and so what does he do? Think about the whole story now. Moses is faithful. He's been leading the people well, and so now he passes the baton to Joshua. Joshua takes the baton, and he's running his leg of the race, and he's faithful to God. We see in Judges chapter 2, it says, after Joshua sent the people away, each of the tribes left to take possession of the land allotted to them. And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him, those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. So it's all been good. Moses led well, he passed the baton. Joshua has led well, so it's all been good until it isn't. Verse 10. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. I shudder every time I read that verse. There is no doubt that Joshua loved God. There is no doubt that the people loved God. But when it came time to pass the baton, they dropped it. And the next generation did not acknowledge the Lord. Listen to me, church. I believe more than anything else, we need to learn how to stir up that gift of faith in each of our lives so that we can believe for the next generation that God is who he said he is, that Jesus will do what he said he would do. Sandy and I have had the privilege of traveling a lot around the globe. And when you do trips, especially in Europe, you'll find one of the places they take you is churches. Uh, all these beautiful, beautiful, ornate churches. And so I remember, and some of these churches have taken decades, some of them have literally taken centuries, I'm not exaggerating, centuries to build. I remember a few years ago, we were in Italy, and we were visiting the Milan Cathedral in Italy. It took nearly six centuries to build that. So here I sat in this massive structure, and I think, you know, there was a time that maybe, maybe 100 years ago, I don't know, maybe it's 200 years ago, there was a time when great preachers stood at the front of this auditorium and they spoke to a house full of worshipers. And yet today it's empty. And that's true of churches all throughout Europe. There was a time where great preachers preached to full houses and now those auditoriums set empty with a box at the doorway, hoping they can collect enough donations to keep the doors and lights on. And I thought as I sat there, what happened? What happened? Someone failed to pass the baton. And now these church buildings are They're nothing more than another tourist stop. Friends, it's not just the pastors and elders that have a responsibility to pass the baton. As a follower of Christ, it's your responsibility. As a parent, it's your responsibility to reach your kids. As a coworker, it's your responsibility. It's your obligation to reach your coworkers. As a good neighbor, it's your responsibility to reach your neighbors. 
Friends, it's your responsibility to reach your own family. Friends, I'll say it to you again. I, I don't care how great the worship is or how many campuses that we have. If we drop the baton, future generations, thousands and thousands of children will miss the gospel message. I've told you before, I believe that we are in the last of the last days, and I don't want to chase that rabbit right now, but, you know, for years, the, the church world has talked about, well, Jesus is coming. We see the signs in America, and we point to things in America, and I've just always shook my head and said, you know, the world is bigger than America. But then when things start happening around the world, that's when you need to look up. And I can tell you that COVID was not just in America. I can tell you that failing economies are not just in America. And so I believe, it's my conviction, I hope I see it, I believe the Lord is going to return very soon. Which is why, listen to me please, which is why you and I need to make a declaration, the same declaration that Joshua made in chapter 24 when he said, choose you this day whom you're going to serve, but it's for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So Northview in closing, I want you to know, let me just say, I want you to know that pastoring this church has been probably the greatest blessing and honor of my life. See, this is not just a place I work, but this has been our home, our social life, our support system. This has been our community. I've had the amazing privilege of working with some of the best people in the world. My staff and the elders of this church are such godly men. And those of you that have stepped up and volunteered throughout the years, what a privilege it's been for me to work alongside you. Thank you for that. Thank you for your friendship and thank you for your support. And I believe that one day you'll hear God say, well done, you have been faithful. And as I said to you a few weeks ago, and I need to throw this in again, I couldn't have done this without Sandy's support. I'm serious. You have no idea the role that she plays in my life. You have no idea the sacrifices that, that that lady has made for me and for this church. There's a special place in heaven for people like Sandy Poe, I promise you. And if you think I'm overstating it, just go home and Google pastor's wife. Sandy's name pops up every time. We're not going away. Uh, each year, we're gonna speak uh, for CJ a few times, help him in any way we possibly can. People say, well, wh what are you gonna do now? Whatever I want. <laughs> we're gonna, our plan right now is just to speak in some churches across the country and uh, to continue to write and whatever else that God brings my way. I'm just open, I'm an open book, and I'm like, God, okay, I'm moved into the next season. Here am I, what is it that you wanna do? But I doubt if what it is, whatever it is, I doubt if it'll ever measure up to how great it's been to be your pastor. And so my final challenge as your senior pastor is that you would give your life for this. That you give all the time, all the money, and all the prayers you can give. Because for all eternity, You'll be so glad you did. I love you, Northview. You're rock stars. <laughs>